On July 15th, some major individuals and companies' Twitter accounts were hacked. One of the tweets by Jeff Bezos read as, I have decided to give back to my community. All Bitcoin sent to my address below will be sent back doubled. I'm only doing a maximum of $50 million with a string of the address, the Bitcoin address, and then ending the tweet with enjoy. Now, in this episode, we're going to cover this particular Twitter hack, bring to you stories about other scams that have taken place and Bitcoin has been involved, and also how Bitcoin and cryptocurrency isn't inherently bad, but how scams like these give it a bad name. Let's begin. You are listening to Go Full Crypto. I'm your host, Mugakshi Palway. This podcast is your best resource for crypto stories in the form of discussions and interviews. We uncomplexify tech jargon and we like to keep it simple. My co-host, Keegan Francis and I, we're here to empower you with the knowledge you need to confidently navigate your way into the world of crypto. Join us as we embark on the journey of driving the adoption of cryptocurrency. Join us in going full crypto. Keegan, when you scroll through Twitter, let's imagine a scenario where you came across Jeff Bezos's tweet. What would be your reaction to reading something like that? So the first alarming thing that comes to mind is just the promise of doubling my money mm-hmm. in such a short period of time. So these Twitter hacks... Well, there is no short period of time, though. It didn't say I'll double your money within X amount of time. Sure. I-, I guess that is also a flag. Because if someone just says, I'm going to double your money, you're, you were probably thinking, oh, and when, how? Exactly. When and how. Those yeah. are the exact questions that I'd be asking myself. Mm-hmm. There was no way to hold uh, those other Twitter accounts or those people on the other end of the Twitter accounts accountable for what they're promising me. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no investment contract. There's I don't need to sign up on a site to do this. I was simply just given a Bitcoin address. And that's that's a problem. Right. People need to know that, Okay, in the real world, in order to double your money, you actually do need to make some sort of tangible investment in something that can possibly bring value, you know, in a business, for example. That's how you double your money or uh, in an investment of sorts in the stock market. You double your money over the course of years. Basically, you don't you don't double your money over the overnight. That that's not something that happens. Mm -hmm. And you were skeptical of. You would be skeptical yes. of um, how a Twitter a tweet just says, "I will double your money. Send it now." Yes, um, I agree. That would also be a red flag for me. Um, I I did a story, um, an Instagram story on this particular event, and at the end of it, I asked my followers, saying, "Well, if tomorrow my Instagram account was hacked, and I said, send me your money, and I'll double it for you." would you fall for it? And, you know, most of the followers said no, but some of them said, I don't know. And I had a question box there that said, well, if yes, then why? And I got a few responses and they were along the lines of, well, you talk about cryptocurrency all the time and we trust you. So if you put out something like that saying, I'll double your money for you, send me your money, we would probably fall for it. And I agree. And there's the $120,000 that were lost in this particular Twitter scam, it's because the followers of these very prominent companies and individuals trusted that um, whatever they say is the truth. Yeah, they were trusted individuals. They were people that 
uh, people give a lot of influence to.、Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the people behind the hack or the scam. Where they knew this, right?、Mm-hmm. There's a very intelligently crafted hack for a couple of reasons. One, because of the accounts that were targeted.、Mm-hmm. It was Apple, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, these people that have a lot of money、mm-hmm. and a lot of influence and have a lot of trust with who their followers actually are. And their trust was exploited because these hackers knew okay, most people are not going to fall from this, but that doesn't matter. We don't need most people to fall for it. We need 10 people to fall for it and give us a thousand dollars each in order to make this profitable for us, for example.、Mm-hmm. And that's really that's the crux of a scam as well. Lots of people don't fall into scams. It's those select few that we're really targeting with this podcast today that look, it's okay. I have fallen into a scam. Like me, Keegan Francis, definitely have fallen into scams before. And that's what this podcast is. But we're going to tell you a couple of things and show you what these look like and Tell you how to spot those red flags. Yeah, why don't you dive into that story, Keegan? Yeah, so the, the first emotion that you need to be aware of when evaluating investment opportunities,、uh, you should be skeptical of all investment opportunities、uh, up to front begin to begin with.、Uh, but really, rather than the opportunity itself, investigate your own emotions while looking at it. And in particular, look for one. One. The, the one that I want you to look for is the fear of missing out.、Mm-hmm. So, if you're reading something on the internet and someone is promising you double your money or massive gains, 10x your, your investment in a short period of time, these are the kinds of things that trigger, oh, I, like, I have a fear of missing out on this opportunity, especially if they put a timeline on it. And that was one thing that, that is common with the Twitter hack or the Twitter scam. They said, Well, only going to double your money if you send money to this Bitcoin address in the next 30 minutes, right? So they're installing that, that trigger, that fear of missing out trigger, right in the tweet itself. I agree. I think a lot of us also fall prey to this particular tactic、uh, when we're shopping online. Right. Where when you click on that checkout button, you have 15 minutes to complete your order. Or 10 minutes to get 50% off on this purchase. And it, I, I agree, I definitely feel a rush and I feel like I need to do this immediately. Right. And to also add to the fear of missing out, that, did you say you fell prey to that? Oh, lots of times. I have as well. It was actually <laughs> when I bought my first、um, little、uh, bit of Bitcoin. Uh, I bought it because I thought I was going to lose that. It was right after the Bitcoin bubble burst in 2018. And I thought, oh gosh, I got to get it now because if I don't, then I'm going to miss out. And it, that emotion, it's very hard to control or rationalize with because it's emotional and irrational to begin with. Right. And that emotion is actually it's good. It, it can get you into a good investment as well.、Mm-hmm. It just needs to be balanced with,、uh, with an evaluation of the facts.、Mm-hmm. Right. If you are jumping on an opportunity solely based on that emotion, then you, you probably should take another look. But if that emotion drives you to evaluate an investment, and then you find out that this actually might have some merit or might actually turn out pretty well for you, then, you know. Good. Your, your body just did what it's supposed to, right? It's like, okay, fear of missing out. I now know about this opportunity. And afterwards, you can decide whether or not that's a good thing to be involved in. That's true. One tactic that I use to、um, not fall prey to that emotion again is I wait. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if it not really related to a shopping cart, but if I ever want to make an investment in anything, because I know how I felt reacting to um, my uh, giving into the fear of missing out before, I try to remember that after equation, that after thought of, oh, I should not have done that. Right. And I've just decided as a rule of thumb, if I feel like I need to do something right now because I'm going to miss out on it, I tell myself to wait and I try really hard <laughs> to follow it. I'm really glad you said that. That's a really great ad- advice in general. And wait 24 hours, wait a week. If you still feel like that investment has as much potential as it did a week ago, it, it doesn't matter if you got in a week ago or if you got in now. It's 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 going to be a good investment for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I do think there is a little bit of a difference when there is a great investment opportunity and it's not fear of missing out, but you know you really must get it then um, at that period of time. But I think it takes time and practice and some failures to recognize the difference between <laughs> making sure that you get into an investment at the right time yeah. and avoiding the fear of missing out part. In my case, there's quite a few failures <laughs> before I, I got good at identifying uh, semi-reasonable investments. I, I do want to tell people in our audience about one investment in particular. Uh, it, was a, it was a Bitcoin mining investment and what they were promising me. Uh, so you can run a computer and then that computer can make you money over time. Mm-hmm. And these uh, mining farms are warehouses full of these things. And I can rent space or rent computing power from these warehouses. And I would that that I was very intrigued by that. But the promises made by this company was that they would double my money in six months. And so that seemed too good to be true. But it just was something that I could not pass up. It was an I had massive fear of missing out on that opportunity. Double my money in six months. Okay, if I put in a thousand now, I'll have two thousand in six months' time. And I put my money in, and they started to actually give me money back. But it was a Ponzi scheme, mm. right? So they were giving me money that belonged to other people. That's how this business was working, and. I was thinking six months down the road, great, I'd have double my money, but they shut down shop completely and the website went down just two months after I put my money in. Mm-hmm. Scams are created by very intelligent people. Right, and so we shouldn't feel bad when we fall prey to these uh, these scams. They're crafted by intelligent people, like you said. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what are some of the lessons that you've learned from these past failures that you try to Uh, implement every time you come across something new one in particular is if it was true how would they be producing the gains that they're promising and another way to encapsulate that same lesson is if it seems too good to be true it probably is Right. So when when you saw the the mining scam you -hmm. said that they promised to double your money in six months right well, you and I do a lot of research and reading on cryptocurrency on a daily basis, but six months, it's easy for anyone to believe that that's possible. That's why this particular scam was one that I fell for, because I was smart enough to know that they couldn't double my money overnight. That's not something that I would fall for. But I wasn't smart enough to know that they couldn't double my money over the course of six months. It was that in that sweet period of time where I really wanted to believe it. It was a long enough period of time that they got me. 
Mm. And so this led me to do a little bit more research into what kind of numbers actually represent a reasonable return and a reasonable time period in which I can expect my investment to double. And this, so this, I then learned about something called the rule of 72. Mm -hmm. And so all this, uh, this is just how math works. And so if you have a hard time understanding investments, uh, this is, this might help clear things up for you. Just keep it simple too. Uh, you don't really need to understand investments to understand the rule of 72. Right. So when you go to your financial advisor and they say, okay, we're going to put some money in uh, an investment account, we're going to invest it in the stock market. If you're investing in just a handful of stocks, then uh, you can expect what they will say is that your investment will, you'll get about 8% per year. And how you figure out how much time that will take to double is you divide 8 by 72. And so 8 divides into 72 nine times. And so it takes nine times for you to double your investment with an 8% interest rate. Nine times or nine years? Nine years. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So whatever rate you're getting, you divide that by 72, and that's the number of years on at, at minimum it'll take for your investment to double. That's right. Yeah. And interest rates are almost never really all that guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And so, it, like you said on average or around nine years. And so when we contrast that with what that company was telling me, we'll double your money in six months, then it's clearly uh, a bad investment, right? It's it's clearly they've they got would have to weird... give you some very large interest rates. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I didn't know that at the time. Now that I know about the, the rule of 72, I can investigate or uh, evaluate new investment opportunities against that rule because that rule actually lets me know about reasonable investments. Fantastic. That's a great thing to mention because for all of our listeners, the next time you come across an opportunity where um, the opportunity is doubling your money, some questions you should ask your not only yourself but also the opportunity the individual person whoever is how much time is it going to take what is the rate of return on this particular investment and that's about it i, I would also like, add to like start how with. are they actually doing it what is the mechanism what, like where are they putting my money and how is it generating more money to get into more detail those are some very good questions to ask right. so just three things one, how much time is uh, is it going to take for the investment to be doubled? What is the rate of interest that you're getting on your investment? And how are they planning on doubling your investment? Awesome. You get good answers to those questions and then you can maybe be a bit more sure about this investment opportunity. Let's move on to some other stories that we've come across uh, relating to falling prey to these scams. Right. We received um, a, a call just the other day and we were talking to some individuals and they told us that uh, they came across this exchange and put some money on it and the money was starting to grow. Very rapidly. Very, it was starting to grow very rapidly and they wanted to withdraw some of those gains to use it for other, you know whatever purposes. But the broker on the other side said, no, you can't withdraw your money unless you put more in it. And that is a huge red flag. It's well, I think it is at the that red point, flag. It, yeah, that is the red flag. And beyond that, it's it's 
almost for certain that you won't get your money back. Right, and you definitely want to think about using more reputable exchanges in the first place, and not using companies that have not been around for a very long period of time. Hmm. Why? Why don't we? Just mention some of these companies, Keegan, because we uh, deal with them all the time. A, a quick disclaimer: we are not sponsored by these companies, or we haven't been paid to talk about them. These are just what we use, and we've had a great experience so far. Yeah, the one, the first one that comes to my mind is Kraken, Kraken.com. They've uh, been in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space for almost a decade, and they're one of the most highly reputable and trusted exchanges.、Mm-hmm. And they don't promise you anything at all. So you go on their website, and they're not telling you that you're going to get rich, and they're not asking you to deposit more money so that you can withdraw your previous amount. These are Tactics used by scam artists,、mm-hmm. and Kraken is not one of those companies. Yeah, there's many more. There's Coinbase and Binance. Binance is one of the world's largest exchanges thus far. Yep. And all of these are great exchanges to go to because they've been here for a long time, and also we know who's running them. Right. We can look up who the founders are and be very confident that they are actually running the company. Whereas you do want to do a little bit of a check before you put money onto a service, like who is running that company, and do they have an active social media page? Have they written blog posts? Have they been featured in videos? I want to. I just put in a quick、um, insert here that the reason why we want to make sure that we do research on the people running these companies is because when we have. And your your Bitcoin、um, and cryptocurrency on these exchanges, it is in their custody. Right. And in our previous episode, we talked about the origins of Bitcoin and its philosophy. And we don't know the founder of Bitcoin, and there is no door that you can knock on and say, "Hey, produce more Bitcoin." And and that's because everyone is part of、um, the Bitcoin network. So that is a very different scenario because Bitcoin, you you are in charge of your funds, you are in charge of your Bitcoin. Uh, when you have it in your digital wallet, but when it comes to an exchange, they're not really in your custody. You don't have complete control over them, which is why it is important to know who's running them. Yeah, because essentially they can pick up their wallet with your money in it and、yeah. walk away. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they can, can't they? <laughs> That brings us to、uh, talking about Quadriga, one of the biggest scandals that took place right here in Nova Scotia.、Um, just to conclude that last little story, Keegan, what are some of the let's let's talk about some of the best practices to make sure that、uh, to to conclude that previous story, Keegan. Let's quickly summarize some best practices when scouting an exchange. Right. So look at the founders. Look at how long they've been around. The the company itself.、Uh, look at how many other people are using them.、Uh, scout some social media platforms and maybe just ask a question on the platforms or see how active their social media profiles are, and who, what kind of individual or what kind of person is on them. Right, because you might see that the same six people are on、yeah. fa- on their Facebook page and on their Twitter page, and they've all liked and commented on it. But if it's the same six people, that's kind of fishy. I'm gonna put one more in. Sure, check if they have insurance. Sure. Because in- insurance, when cryptocurrency exchanges came into existence, it, it you wouldn't find an insured exchange. 
but now all of the exchanges that we talked about earlier except kraken actually kraken doesn't have insurance the ones that do have insurance is crypto.com uh coinbase and gemini and insurance is actually a relatively new phenomenon in the cryptocurrency space, but it's really exciting because insurance companies essentially really didn't want to touch the cryptocurrency space. They wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. But now cryptocurrency is gaining legitimization all over the world, and insurance companies are saying, yeah, we will insure those assets. Yes, and I have a really fun point to make here. Insurance companies, yes, because insurance companies can come and foot the bill if should anything happen and then the other kind of insurance is the one that exchanges make themselves in the form of putting away a majority or a good chunk of the money on the exchange in cold storage right and cold storage just means it cannot be touched it cannot be moved it's just there and that so kraken.com they don't have yeah. the insurance from other people, but that they kind insure of in- funds. Yeah, they're self-insured, the and they have they follow some of the best security practices. They are the proponent of uh, of best practices when it comes to safe storage of funds, and that's what we really like about all those companies that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Talking about safe storage of funds, <laughs> let's segue into what happened with Quadriga CX. Keegan, you had you used to get paid um, on the exchange. Why don't you? T- start talking about um, how that happened, how yeah. that unfolded. So just for a little bit of context, I was working for a company and I chose to take my salary in Bitcoin. So I got paid in Bitcoin for about six to eight months. And during that period of time, I deposited it right onto an exchange that at the time I had a lot of trust for. So what this exchange would do for me is I would sell my Bitcoin on the exchange I would get Canadian dollars in return. They would transfer Canadian dollars to my bank account. And this would happen every two weeks, basically every paycheck. And eventually I started to notice that my paychecks took longer and longer to enter my bank account. And one day I got a payment, like the right amount, but I got it from a company that wasn't Quadriga. And this really put me off. This was very strange. I was no longer willing to use Quadriga as a service because of this event. I noticed that the payment came from somewhere I wasn't expecting. So that was your red flag? That was my red flag. Was that the first red flag? That was the first red flag, yeah. That and the long periods of time it took for the the money to reach my bank account, those in tandem. Uh, was what caused me to exit that exchange. I mm-hmm. trusted my gut, and that's that's a really important <laughs> thing. Trust your gut. That's a lesson uh, for sure. Okay, yeah. so what did you do after you realized that this something's fishy? You were... I having... just took all my assets off the exchange, so okay. they were <laughs> nice enough to let me have my Bitcoin. Uh, and it was actually just about three or four months after this that uh, the, the founder of the exchange itself died and they died unexpectedly unexpectedly yes and they died with the only keys to that that exchange's wallet and so essentially that as the narrative goes 190 million dollars worth of cryptocurrency (laughs) was locked up with and the only key to that cryptocurrency died with the founder that was the the initial narrative that was and with more investigation being having uh, been done having been done there were some things that came to light yes um and well one of the things was that it was uh, there were some malicious 
practices taking place within the exchange, within the owners of the exchange, what was happening was they liquidated the users' funds that were stored on the exchange into um, government money, into Canadian dollars and probably other currencies, and it was being invested into real estate and other sort of properties. Planes, boats, real estate, like you said. Mm -hmm. And every time there was a a huge demand to... um, well, give back funds to the users, withdrawal demand on the exchange. What was happening was they were trying to sell the properties in the real world, take the money from the the possible gain from those properties, and then give it back to the people on the exchange. Or they would take the deposits from new users mm-hmm. and give it to the people that are requesting withdrawals. And so this is the very definition of a Ponzi scheme. Right when you don't have enough money in the business, uh, because of the mismanagement of funds, you need new users on the exchange to uh, that are depositing money to fulfill the withdrawals of the, your existing user base, and so in the end, a Ponzi scheme was being run. It's a really unfortunate circumstance for people who couldn't get their money out because the the founders were allegedly well one of them was known to be a con artist later but they were if anyone did any research on quadriga cx they wouldn't find any more red flags right it looked fine on paper yeah yeah and this actually brings us into the next part of the discussion is that quadriga was actually preventable in our opinion and so let's let's talk just a little bit about the traceability aspect of cryptocurrencies and one of the things you, you alluded to this, uh, the founder was taking that cryptocurrency and doing other things with it and essentially moving it off of the wallets that belonged to Quadriga. Mm-hmm. And that particular action, that moving of the cryptocurrency, that you can detect that. I can detect that. And so all cryptocurrency transactions that, uh, at least with Bitcoin, uh, are traceable. And so we can know when the cryptocurrency I just deposited onto that exchange, take my salary, for example, I can see when that moves. And if I didn't move it myself, then that cryptocurrency really shouldn't be moving. And this was happening. And so if there was a little bit more government oversight or regulatory oversight or financial crime oversight, then they would be able to detect that and maybe prevent something like this from happening in the future. Also accountability, because I'm sure at the end of the year, they had to produce reports to put on paper how much money was being exchanged, um, how much money was changing hands on this exchange. And I haven't seen any reports of this, but if there was more attention being paid to this particular aspect of the exchange, I'm sure it would have been very, very obvious. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So... So we've talked about the Twitter hack, we've talked about some stories that you and I know of other people, and Keegan, you shared a story of your your own self. Right, it was something that we've experienced firsthand. Mm -hmm. And we also uh, talked about Quadriga, where you were, you know, smart enough to recognize the two red flags and take all of your money off before that exchange went completely down. Let's talk about how this is ruining the name of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies because essentially these hacks these scams are being dubbed 
as a Bitcoin scam. Right, it's a Bitcoin problem, and、mm-hmm. that's something that we disagree with. To be to quote、uh, from this one article,、uh, and this article will be included in the show notes. It says. All in service of promoting a Bitcoin scam that earned its creators nearly 120 million dollars. Sorry, 120 thousand dollars. Right, and that's in reference to the Twitter. The Twitter、scam. hack, yes.、Yeah. And it says Bitcoin scam. It's not a Bitcoin scam. It's、right. a Twitter hack. Right. And Bitcoin was just the currency used、uh, to, I guess, scam people. But Bitcoin scam, and people hear that. The first thing, if they if they don't know much about Bitcoin, if they don't know that Twitter was hacked, they think, oh. Bitcoin, that currency that people used to scam, or、oh, that malicious currency that's used for all of these bad things, and that's not great for really spreading everything that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are about. It's not a very biased vo- view of what the currency is balanced. all about. Balanced. It's not a very balanced view. What did I say? Biased. Oh, I said biased. Yeah. yeah I meant to say balanced. Right. No, we got you. <laughs> yeah. So, Keegan, what is your opinion on the way that Bitcoin is perceived and communicated on media? So, this is my opinion with respect to all cryptocurrencies, and I, I view them as a tool.、Uh, we, when you receive a call from a scam artist,、uh, on, like maybe you get a call and says, "Hey, you're being sued by such and such a person, and we need your social insurance number, and we need you to transfer this money." We don't call that a Canadian dollar scam. Right, we we call that a phone call scam,、yeah. or we call that、uh, just a scam. Yeah. So that's really what we were looking at with this Twitter hack, right? Twitter had a security problem, and as a result, those、uh, scam artists decided to request money with Bitcoin, and that's not a Bitcoin scam. That's just a scam.、Mm-hmm. It's、uh, an old tactic wrapped in new technology, and that's really the point that we want to drive home. Bitcoin is just a tool. And it can be used just like cash can be used in a tool, right? Most scams are still conducted in cash, all over the world, because that's the easiest way for scam artists get to get away with it. It's untraceable. And the thing I really love about Bitcoin is if hackers or scammers do choose to use Bitcoin for their scam, they can be held accountable for it through, with like really cool tools that we have now.、Mm-hmm. One of them is. Uh, CipherTrace disclaimer again: We aren't paid, and this isn't a paid sponsorship in any way. This is just a service that we've researched and we like because they're doing good things for the industry. CipherTrace is a blockchain forensics tool, and all that means is they can track, trace, and hold accountable some transactions that take place on most cryptocurrency networks. And that's great. We need that kind of infrastructure if we want to see. Cryptocurrency be accepted by governments or、uh, businesses, right? We need to have addresses, or we need to be able to detect addresses that are holding、uh, Bitcoin for malicious purposes. That is a very good thing that we need to be able to do, and not just Bitcoin, but other cryptocurrencies as well. That's very true, and that's kind of what we're trying to do with this podcast and our GoFull Crypto services as well, because there's a lot of misinformation about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, and we want to bring the information that is correct and unbiased. Yeah, we want to present both sides of the picture. So while we just had this conversation about all the negative ways that using cryptocurrency can go wrong, we also want to acknowledge all the ways that cryptocurrency can be used in for good and in the right ways. Like we need to acknowledge both sides of the picture in order to be able to be trusted as a, as a balanced perspective. 
let's make sure that we <laughs> adhere to this statement that we're making about ourselves. So let's get into an exploratory conversation, Keegan, where we can talk about how Bitcoin is used for malicious purposes. Actually, it's I, I think it's more uh, known than why it is how it is used for good purposes. Illegal money laundering. Sure. It is used to pay for probably illegal substances. Yeah. That that's why Silk Road is what it is, and that's how it operates. That's how it can be funded as an operation. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's. What else? Bitcoin can be used. I think those are the main two. Right. Money laundering and buying illegal substances, substances online. Yeah, or services. Materials, services, all of that. Right. And and the great thing about that is it can be traced. Yes. So the FBI actually does like it when criminals use Bitcoin. This is how they caught the owner of the Silk Road. Mm -hmm. Right. So in 2014, they were able to uh, detect aspects of both the Bitcoin addresses that they were using, specifically the IP address. They traced it to a location in California. They eventually found this person sitting at a library, st uh, set up a little bit of a sting operation and caught that person. Uh, his name is Ross Aldrich, mm -hmm. and he's currently sitting in jail for setting up the Silk Road and facilitating this illegal drug marketplace. For, yeah, for those who don't know what the Silk Road is, it was essentially a marketplace to sell illegal substances, services, um, yeah, substances and services. Right, but the FBI, they used the properties of the Bitcoin network, the traceability aspect of it, the immutability aspect of it, to hold this person accountable for the wrongdoing that they were committing. Mm -hmm. And that's that's good. That seems good to me. That seems like they would not be... If this drug business operated solely on cash, I, I really doubt that they'd be able to do that. That's true. One other thing that people have said to us is, well, there's no one who governs Bitcoin, which is why it's kind of like a rogue currency. And that can be perceived as a bad thing about Bitcoin. I would say most people who hold Bitcoin and stay for the philosophy perceive it as a good thing. Yes. I, I would also say that that lends more credence to the narrative that Bitcoin is unbiased. And uncontrollable by a, a singular party, singular majority. Right, because we're somehow beholden to the values of the... Uh, the organization that puts forth the currency in the first place. So and when I'm using the US dollar, I am in some way, shape or form adherent to the values of the US economy. It's but with Bitcoin, there is no one at the top. There is no top to be at. And so we, we really like that aspect about it because it just it, like we said, it furthers the narrative that Bitcoin is a tool and not inherently good or inherently bad. Mm hmm. All right, Keegan, we covered some pretty good ground on this episode today. Let's do a very quick recap. So when you're looking at a new investment opportunity, two things to keep in mind is number one, if you think you're feeling like you might miss out on the opportunity, if you don't act on it right away, you probably can wait a little bit longer. <laughs> and then the second thing is if you feel like the opportunity is too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. When looking at an exchange, it's just our advice that you go with ones that are already reputable. They've been long-standing, they have a huge user base, they have really good services, and it's just best to stick with them. And the last thing is, if you hear 
anyone talking about cryptocurrency in the light of it being a scam in the first place or it being used only for malicious purposes we encourage you to indulge them in a conversation about it because the more this is talked about the more we're going to drive adoption and uh, spread the message of how cryptocurrency is as is a tool that can be used for good and should be used for good and that's that's what we want to accelerate if you want to educate yourself a little more on cryptocurrency scams we will be hosting our next mastermind on scams how to identify red flags to register you can navigate to gofullcrypto.com forward slash learn and find more details there see you then